right, well, for our 2 o'clock session, we're continuing our three-part series on gospel fluency, and we have a real treat today all the way from Australia. Would you welcome Phil Brake. G'day, guys. That's way too quiet. Are these youth leaders? No, they, say they, are. they say they are. But it's a thousand degrees. Oh. G'day. That, there we go. Oh, not sure how this is going to go, but uh, all right. Hey, it's a real privilege and honor to be here with you this afternoon. I don't take this uh, lightly. Um, I had the privilege of being here last year and and obviously I didn't offend enough people because they invited me back. So we'll see if we can change that today, right? Just kidding. Hey, um, want to get straight into this. I, I, I normally like to try and like uh, have, have a bit of a joke or a little bit of fun, but just would like to move past that for just a second, get straight into it. Is that okay? You guys handle that? I know it's hot, so uh, let's get straight into this. So I'm going to go through a couple of things um, that I've found helpful in my life and youth ministry and ministry life. Uh, and I'm going to probably assume, which is always dangerous because we know what assuming does, right? Um, but I'm going to assume there's kind of like a bit of a grasp and an understanding of some of the scriptures that I refer to. Um, but before we get started, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for who you are. We just thank you that you are our Father who art in heaven. Holy, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So, Father, today we just um, focus on you right now in this place. We honor your presence. Where two or three are gathered, where there's hungry hearts, your spirit is brooding, hovering over us, looking for hearts who are totally turned and devoted towards you so that you can... Fill us with your spirit to such a degree that you can manifest your power, your might, your love, your grace, your mercy in us, through us. So I just thank you for every hungry heart that's in this room. Father, I'm also very, very aware right now, stating the obvious, statistically speaking, there are people in this room that are on a mountaintop that is just, things are just going great. And, and I, we give you all the praise for that. And for those that are in the valley and, and uh, on the verge of thinking about giving up, Father, just pray in this time that you would uh, just make your presence felt. Father, we just acknowledge that ministry is hard. It hurts. It's tough. And yet it's the most rewarding thing that we could ever do. Bring glory to your name, serve you. So, Father, thank you that no matter what season we find ourselves in, we'd all love to be in that season of success, but even that has its own tensions and challenges as does the valley. So, Father, we just commit this session to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to hit something up. Before we get into it, I've been... Kevin and Carrie gave me the, the topic of um, how do we know if we're being effective? And I'd probably like to say that fruitful. How do we know we're being effective in ministry? And I want to come to that in a minute, but I think one of the things that can really hurt us as youth leaders is the whole game of comparisons and I went man you know like starting out in youth ministry and and inheriting a a group of like you know eight to ten kids and going to certain things even like this and mixing with guys that you've heard about mixing with crew that are running youth ministries in the hundreds if not thousands like in in so many ways and it was a reflection of me not of them by the way 
It was a reflection of my own insecurities around that and getting caught up in the trap in the game of comparison. And uh, I just want to touch on that for a minute before we go any further. I just As I was praying for you guys, I just feel like this is uh, a bit of a word for some people in this room that you just need to be encouraged today. You know, like, I, I put it like this, that when you have the conviction of call, when, when you know God has called you into something, you lose the luxury of choice. You could go and do so many different things, but when God speaks to your heart, when you know that you know that you know that God's Spirit has called you to youth ministry, called to just to love kids and put up with them in their ups and downs and, and their smells and their attitudes and, and everything and getting that phone call, you know, like uh, half an hour before the program starts, I need a lift or, oh, you know, getting those phone calls five minutes before it starts going, oh, I'm not coming tonight. And uh, one kid used to try that with me. I said, mate, if, if you don't come tonight, next time I see you, I'm going to break your nose. And he goes, okay, I'm coming. And then I'd just hang up straight away. Didn't give him a response, time to respond. But he was there. Uh, and he knew that I loved him. And he is now one of my best friends after 22 years of doing ministry together. He became one of my leaders. And now he's, he's going great guns. But um, I just I want to touch on this because... The definition of comparison is to estimate the similarities or differences between two things. And, you know, for some of us in this room, we kind of like play that comparison game and we can walk away out of this room that's supposed to be a time where you get built up, refreshed and encouraged because that's what God wants to do in this room today. He wants to speak into your circumstance, your situation, your pain, your struggle, your triumph, your victories, your successes. And he wants to speak into you so you can leave this place with something to go back and face next week with a fresh enthusiasm and vigor and courage to face what you've got to go back to once you've finished this weekend. Does that make sense? And so when we, when we get caught in that, I think comparison for me will kill passion. It'll kill your passion for ministry. When we're looking at what other people are doing, we're going to miss out on what God has actually called us to do. And so the philosophy, the ministries, the programs that other people are doing, we can learn from that and we can glean from that and we should celebrate their victories. I mean, I, I see it, you know, for every youth ministry out there that wins a, a kid to Christ is one less that I have to reach. And the kingdom of God has been extended. Are you with me? It's very quiet in here. All right, you can talk to me if you like, that's okay. But comparison will also kill your individuality who you were created to be, the kind of leader. If, if, if I tried to be Preston, uh, we'd all be in trouble, all right? Like, he is seriously one of my best mates. We've been best mates for about 12 years now. I can't be Preston. And if I try to be that, I'm going to miss out on being the best me that I can be. And the best me that I can be and the best you that you can be is you. And it's not about trying to be somebody else. I don't have his gifts. I don't have his experience. I don't have his, his revelation that God's given him about who he is meant to be and what he's meant to be doing. I've got to get that for myself. You know, Isaiah said, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. What does that mean? He was living off secondhand revelation until that point. But when he got his own, once he got his own revelation of who God is and what God had called him to be in terms of the prophet that he was, if he didn't get that revelation for himself, he would have been living off of King Uzziah's revelation of who God was. So maybe over this couple of days, you just need a fresh revelation of who God is so he can speak into it to remind you of who you are. I mean, how many of us in this room have ever spoken about to our kids how fearfully and wonderfully they've been made? Who's ever done that? We tell our kids that they're unique, that there's no one else on the planet, no one else has a fingerprint like you, a voice print, retinal scan like you do, and that's why what makes you so individual. God knew you before you were born. Guess what? That's relevant to you guys as leaders as well. 
And so, but sometimes we can lose that because we get caught in the comparison game. We lose the individuality for which God has called us. Have you ever wondered why God planted a birth to you and you arrived in history, the time that you have, in the place that you have? There's a well-known guy in our country that was overseeing World Vision. Tim Kessler used to put it like this, the lottery of latitude. There's no reason as to why we're born where we are. It's just the sovereignty and the providence of God. So therefore, God has a reason for each of you being in the township, the church, the space that you're at. And until he says otherwise, we should just be doing it with all our might. I think it'll certainly, comparison will certainly kill creativity because you're trying to be an imitator instead of just being the original you that you're meant to be. And that will limit you in so many different ways. I love the fact that when God spoke to Noah, he spoke to Noah in such specific terms about a strategy to build a boat that was going to be a vehicle for salvation. And I still believe God wants to do that today. But if we're looking at other people and what other people are doing, we can learn from that. But if we don't get what God is telling us about our city, our town, our schools that we're trying to reach, we're going to miss the boat. Are you with me? And so, like, I believe that God is still in the business of speaking strategically into our situations. But you know what else comparison can do? You know, my wife, when we attend conferences sometimes, it hasn't happened for a while, but sometimes she'll just go away and she'll feel flat. And it's supposed to be something that energizes us and builds us up, but she'll walk away flat and then we start talking about it. And it's that she got caught up in that comparison game. I mean, I'm just, I'm getting old, right? Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting old. I'm like 46, so, you know, I'm old. <laughs> half of the room just said, yes, you are, and the other half are just going, no, you're not, so. <laughs> but, you know, you don't get these gray hairs for nothing. But, you know, we get caught up in that comparison game, but I'm, I'm at the point where I just don't care what people think. I just, I'm worried about what he thinks. I just, you know what? If people don't love me for who I am, stuff them. It's their problem, not mine. Because it's those that are closest to me that I'm accountable to that know my heart, my problems, my weaknesses and faults and failings. See, for me, comparison will breed discontentment, despondency, anxiety, discouragement. And it will limit you and limit your ministry if you don't get over yourself and get into the space that God wants you to be in and be who God's called you to be. The most effective that you will be, if we're talking about effectiveness... If we want to see kids released into the freedom of who they are in Christ and being made whole in Christ, it's got to start in us as leaders. And so if you uh, need that fresh revelation today, I pray that speaks into your situation. You see, the only thing that we should ever compare ourselves to or use as a mirror is the Word of God and to see our lives transformed and molded more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus. Do I get an amen to that at least? Thank you. So I just want to uh, just give a quick, uh, quick background. Before we talk about effectiveness or fruitfulness, and I, I kind of struggle with this, and I'm going to ask for your thoughts in just a second. But I think when we talk about being effective with our lives, we're all going to have a different definition of what success is and what being effective is. So that's personal. We might come to that if we have time. But ultimately, let's just fast forward. When we stand before God, we're going to have to stand before Him for some things. We're going to have to stand before him for how he responded to the gift of grace in his son, Jesus Christ, whether we accepted that, rejected that. That's what we'll have to stand before him. We'll have to stand before him then for things, our, our lives from that point onwards about were we faithful? Were we faithful? Matthew 25, Luke 19 says, you know, when, when, in regards to the master and going before the master, to hear those words that I'm sure we'd all love to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
the good part relates to our character and our integrity. We'll stand before God for our integrity and our character, not for all the amazing works that we so-called have done because it's only because of his enablement have we done them anyway. It's our integrity and our character that we will stand before God for. Have we been faithful in that? Now, what fascinates me is some people uh, hunger and strive for an anointing for ministry and we think that's what it's all about. But actually what we should be striving for is integrity and character and Christ-like character because it's that that's attractive to God and his anointing for us to operate out of any form of ministry. And just as an aside, in my opinion, like we can see people who are performing great miracles and different things, of course, they will stand before God and there will be people where Jesus will say, hey, I don't know you, depart from me. And yet we look at them and go, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. Isn't that incredible? But it's anointing comes to empower, to empower for ministry. But we'll actually stand before God and be held accountable for our integrity and our character. So we're going to stand before him. Are we faithful? Have we remained consistently obedient to his word and commands? Do we love him with all our heart, soul and strength and our neighbor as ourselves? Were we truly disciples of Jesus? Were we discipled? And did we disciple people? Let me ask you a question. Have you got someone in your life right now that's discipling you? And, and, and one way to answer that question is, when was the last time you were told off? Or when you were pulled into line? When you were being a jackass and somebody just said, right, you know what, Phil? Mate, you need to pull your head in. And it happens several times a year, trust me, with me. And I put myself in that position. Sorry, am I allowed to use that word? I just realised I said... Okay. I, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I'm going to use that from now on. We're with leaders, you know. Yeah, whatever. Are you being discipled? I believe we should all be being discipled and we should be discipling. Let's go to uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. I just want to read this passage. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But this my father is by this my Father is glorified that you might bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So I think the key to effectiveness is not focusing on the fruit, it's focusing on faithfulness. It's focusing on the abiding. It's focusing on how do we get not just ourselves, our teams and our kids producing, getting results. It's the priority's got to be how do we get them abiding? How do we get them? And I know you guys have been discussing in these sessions about processes and systems of discipleship and understanding God's word and distributors of God's word and livers and lovers of God's word. See, the faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness. I mean... I don't know if you've ever looked at an apple tree lately, but 
I can't say I've ever seen an apple tree kind of standing there and doing this. If I squeeze strain just a little bit harder, I'm going to pop out just another apple. Ah, there it is. See, the fruitfulness is a byproduct of faithfulness. When we are abiding in the vine, the fruit will naturally come. And so we're talking about an outcome of the faithfulness is the fruit. And there's plenty of scriptural um, examples of what that actually means. What do we define by fruit? And talk about the Great Commission, Great Commandment, Galatians 5, Colossians 3, 2 Peter 1, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 13, so on. There's, there's lots of references as to how we can describe and emphasize fruit. So we're going to stand before God, how we, what our response to Jesus and the gift of grace and love and reconciliation with God, that we, what we do with that, we'll stand before God for our faithfulness. And see, God doesn't expect us to be fruitful without providing us with everything we need to bear fruit. You ever thought about that? God's not going to expect something of us that he hasn't either already or will provide for us to fulfill that. He's not a God that plays games with our lives. He will provide us with everything that we need. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything, which means it's got nothing to do with us. You know, when we started up our ministry and stuff, one of the great scriptures that I, I said, you know, God, how do you get people to come around you that are just rock solid and they're just champions of the cause and they know, I, I know they're going to have our back and they're going to be passionate about what you've called us to do. And I was just reading, I think it's Psalm 105, it, it just says in there that because of your goodness to us, the righteous will gather around you. It's incredible how like, God just provides us with those things that we need at the right time. If you've got deficiencies or lack in your ministry right now, Maybe it's just time just to commit it to God and just say, Father, I, I need a breakthrough in this situation. I know that sounds incredibly simple, but sometimes we get so busy in trying to fix the problems ourselves that we don't actually go to the source and just abide for a little while and just allow God's spirit and presence and wisdom to invade our lives so it actually directs our decision-making and our thinking and position and our timing so we actually be in the right place at the right time for that answer and that breakthrough to come through. Does that make sense? See, that whole thing about God will give us the gifts. He will give us what we need so we can be fruitful. We know that in Luke 19 and Matthew 25 that he gives the gifts, the five, the two and the one gifts. And they have to go back and they have to tell the master what did they do with their gifts. I don't know if you know this, but when we talk about a talent, one given five talents, if we equate that to today's economy, one talent's probably worth about $1.25 million dollars. So when you talk about five talents, it's like, hey, has anyone got a master like that that's dishing out that kind of coin? So like, yeah, I'd like that. But we're talking about, like, they, these are not cheap gifts. These are significant gifts. Do you understand the gifts that God has put inside of you are so incredible and so amazing and so, so, so powerful that God has deposited within your DNA, a unique DNA, he's put within you the ability to do extraordinary things for him? But again, this, this is where comparison can actually be a killer because instead of focusing on what we have been given, we try to focus on what we haven't been given. And we will stand before God for what we have been given, not for what we haven't been given. Let me ask you a question today. Do you know your gifts? Can you just go bang? Yep, I know what my gifts are. If you don't, I'm excited for you. Because if you don't know what your gifts are with clarity, 
then once you begin to discover that and you start to operate and you start to hone those gifts and develop them and start to use those gifts, it'll be amazing the transformation it'll make in your life but to those around you. So if you don't know what your gifts are, I'm excited for you. So I just wanted to give that little bit of a background around uh, before we get into effectiveness and am I being effective, keys to being effective. We can jump in that. I'm not going too fast. Great, you guys are smart, cool. All right. If, if I was to break it down, if I was to reflect on, I guess, our journey of what God's done within the life of our, our ministry and, and some of the other um, youth ministries that I'm connected with, I think some of the keys are, if we want to take a look at effectiveness, we have to have a clearly defined mission and vision. We have to have a clear understanding of why we exist, our mission, what is the God-given objective for this ministry to exist. And then we should have a clear mental picture of the preferred future, the vision of what it's going to look like. It's like, you know what, if I had to, if I had to write, if I had to email you what our vision statement is, and, and it's not actually a statement because I believe, you know, a picture paints a thousand words. So if, I, if I'm trying to see what the future in God is going to look like for where God wants to take us, it's not just a statement for us, it's a document. It's, a, it's a, like a state of the nation address from, you know, in 2028, if I'm standing before you, I'm actually saying, well, look what God has done in the last 10 years. And look what, look at all the incredible, amazing things that God has done. So that we have a vision document, if you like, not so much a vision statement. So we have a clear, we believe, God-given kind of picture of a preferred future because I believe that all of us, our best is yet to come. Not a cliche, I believe that. Why would we be doing what we're doing if we think the best is behind us, right? Some of us don't feel like that, but some of us have to make sure our feelings don't dictate kind of our actions. We actually have to bring our feelings and our emotions into submission to our beliefs of what the Word of God has to say about the situation and the circumstance. So if I actually have a clear mental picture of a preferred future, now as a youth ministry, that's got to flow and stem out of what the church's mission and vision is. And if you don't know, if you can't reel off to me what your church's mission and vision is, then you need to kind of like probably just stop there, get that sorted before we move too much further forward. I mean, you can always actually just sit down and chat with your pastor. You can sit down with them and actually just talk about it with them. I'm telling you right now, if you sat down with your pastor, if you've got an oversight, a leadership team, and you said, hey, can you guys actually explain to me what's the mission and vision and how can our youth ministry help fulfill the fulfillment of that vision? Does that make sense? Because mission and vision is, is powerful. There are some reasons for that. Because if we, I'll come to that in just a sec. Anything that we do, any kind of program, because if we're going to measure in any way, shape or form how effective we're being, then that's going to require programs and different things that we facilitate. Any program, course, anything that we run, any camp, any kind of program or event that we do should only be done if it's going to help fulfill the vision that God has given us for our ministry. So the mission and vision are imperative to any kind of programming that we have. Because otherwise we're just going to go, oh, those guys over there are doing a slip and slide next week. Let's do that. Oh, well, that worked really well for them. And uh, like they had a, a camp out and they kind of like got a speaker in and that worked well for them. So why don't we just do that? There's no strategic intent behind that because like, you know what the great thing is, is if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it. If, if you have a goal of achieving nothing, 
hit it every time. So anything that we do, anything in our programming that we do, and we've been offered some great guest speakers, we've been offered some great opportunities that people would normally jump at. But we sit down as a team and just go, hang on a sec, that's, that's really cool, and it'd be great to have that person or that ministry or that band, whatever, but if it doesn't go towards fulfilling the vision and the direction and fulfilling the strategic plan that we've got, then we say no. Let me ask you this question in regards to that. If, if I had to sit down with you right now and we, we took a look at what you are actually doing could, and I asked you, why are you doing what you're doing? Could you tell me clearly and succinctly? Could you actually just go, yep, okay, the reason we do this, this and this is for this express reason. A great question to ask yourselves around kind of like, yeah, the outworking of mission and vision. You know, when it comes to knowing if we're being effective or not, there are some challenges. There are some challenges. Okay, why do you think we're actually afraid to measure what we're doing? Somebody help me out. No. Failure? Good. Sorry? Expectations? On who? Yep. So if we actually uh, try to measure something, it might actually just reveal that I'm doing a crap job, right? None, none of us want that. Any others? Fear? Yep, fear. Elaborate. Yep. Cool. So that was fear uh, that if I, um, yeah, don't don't fulfil that, then people will see me in a in the wrong light or might not like me or that kind of thing. Yeah, fear of what people think. Anyone else? Yep. Somebody said that you might actually have to change your direction. How annoying is that? <laughs> I want to do it my way. It's like, but it's the way we've always done it. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but like, you know, when you keep doing what you've always done and expect a different result, good definition of insanity. But yet we keep doing the same things and expect a different result. And we get caught in a rut of just doing things a particular way. My guys know that I just change stuff for the hell of it. And, and I love kind of just messing with people's heads and just going, you know what? I'd like to say the majority of the time it's a kind of a God prompt. I just go, you know what? And I, you know, it's like, and I believe we need to change this for this reason. But sometimes we just go, we've got to keep that culture and that, that kind of expectation of just unexpected. Anything could happen here. Nurturing that culture of change. And we all know what a rut is, right? It's just a coffin with the ends kicked out and we're just in it already. Any other, any other reasons why we're afraid to measure things? Sorry, was that? I couldn't hear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why are we afraid to measure what we do? Yes, sir. A lot of people are 
Yeah, that's good. And we'll come to that in just a sec. Thank you. Nice segue. 20 bucks for you later. <laughs> no, it's so true. But, and that's why, that's why I'm, guys, I'm harping on about mission and vision. And you go, oh, that's really corporate speak. No, no I, I don't believe so. I believe that there is a, a reason for our ministries to exist. In principle, I believe that stems out of the Great Commission, the Great Commandments in principle of why we exist in our ministries and then the outworking of the unique flavour and style that we are and who we are, where we are in terms of the, the expression of that and the outworking of a, a vision, the, the kind of thing, the, the kind of people group and community that God is wanting to transform you more and more into will be unique. Um, but they, they, they are so vital because that then determines when we, we have a vision of what our future is like, just this is a whole nother topic, but I'll quickly just touch on it. That if we have a very clear vision of what the future is going to like, we have to then evaluate where we're at right now, take a look at our activities and, and what we're actually running right now and go, okay, this is what we're doing right now. Is it taking us in that direction? And if it's not, will we stop doing it? You know, we, we've got this saying, I mean, I, I don't know where you guys are from, but like a lot of churches I see, it's like, you know, they run an event or they do something and people stand up the next weekend and say, it was awesome, it was so good, it was fantastic, it was awesome. No, it wasn't, it was crap. Why didn't you just own it? And just go, you know what, it was, it was not good, we tried, and next time we're actually going to go, we, we can actually make some changes to that and actually make it better the next time, or we're just never going to do it again. We stuffed up, we just own it. But like there's stuff that we're doing, but then we actually go, you know what, this is where we are now, but this is where God wants us to go. What steps do we need to actually take to get from here to where God wants us to go? And, and again, I wholeheartedly believe that God will give you the clarity around the strategic plan that you need to take steps. Now, I'm not that smart. So all I can handle is three things a year. Just th that's all I can handle with my guys is just three. Some people have 10. I'm not that good. It's just three. Because I go, you know what? If this year we can just focus on nailing these three things at the end of this year, we're going to have three things that are just cranking. And they're just going off and they're rock solid and we know we've got it sorted. So the following year when we add three more things, we don't lose those things because they are just running so strong and so well, ingrained in the, in the nature and the culture of who we are. And then we can add three things onto it or sometimes it's an expansion of the one that we did the year before. So we don't take too much off. But this, this is why mission, vision, strategic plan to where God wants us to go is so important. And if you don't know how to do that stuff, I, I would be very surprised if you don't have someone in your world or a connection that can actually walk you through that process. And I'm serious in that. It's amazing that the, the people that God has got in your world already, I, I believe that God has given you, your ministry, everything it needs to grow to the next stage. You've already, it's already there. It's up to us whether we can actually see it, search for it, pray about it, ask God, where is it? All right. Some other challenges about measuring. We, we have that question, what to measure? What do we actually measure? And, and this is where I find it hard because spiritual fruit is hard to measure. But it doesn't mean we can't. doesn't mean we can't. And then we have to ask the question, how do we measure? And when it comes to this and every group in this room being from different areas, you're facing different challenges, you've got different opportunities. You know, everywhere I go and I sit down with people, like, you know, have the conversation, like, for me, I'm always listening and I just go, wow, 
can see things as a problem or you can see it as a great opportunity. It's all in our perspective. It's all in our eye of faith. I've constantly said about who we are and what we're currently doing is our greatest problem we have always had is the amount of opportunities that are before us. And it's like, how do we allocate the minimal resource we've got to doing that? And so we need God's help in that. So how do we measure? But our personality of leaders, the personality of your church will impact what you measure and how you measure. So just again, just touching on, if you don't know what your gifts are, there are so many great resources around uh, for you to help, help you discover what that is. And I'm not just talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about personality. I'm talking about temperament. There's some, you know, most of you might have heard of the Maya Briggs um, personality profiles and stuff. Those things aren't just for, you know, corporate spaces. They can help you so much in, as a team, as a group, as an individual. Because you're not only, everyone loves learning about themselves. You know, you do those surveys, you can't wait to get the results and the answers, right? I mean, I was going to get you all to fill one out, but we, I, we don't have enough time. There's a whole bunch of free ones that you can actually, uh, can actually do. There's uh, the three colour test, there's My Briggs, temperament tests, uh, there's, a, there's a free version of the DISC one. And if you don't know what any of those are, again, I'm excited for you because you can actually start to learn more about who you are, but you can actually learn more about who other people are and how to relate to other people. But all of those things are actually going to impact what you measure and how you measure. And obviously, the people that you're reaching will impact that as well. All right. I think some other reasons, some other challenges around measuring things is that there's often a general lack of accountability in churches, in leadership teams, because we're so full of love and grace. I mean, I know holding people accountable for some people in this room is easy, but for some people, uh, it's actually quite hard to pull people up on what they're doing. But the problem is what we tolerate becomes the standard by which we operate. And so some of us right now, and in fact, I've got a situation I've got to go home to because I err on the side of grace, right? I'm like, some of the guys say, Phil, get out of the way. We've got to deal with this situation. I'm like, no, let me deal with it. They go, no, you're too soft. You're too loving. You're just going to put your arm around them and tell them that they love them and just go, hey, mate, by the way, you know, they just go, no, they just need a good slap up the side of the head and just leave it with us, you know. But for some of us in this room, we've either got leaders on our teams that we're letting them get away with behaviour that's substandard, but for whatever reason, because we don't want to lose them, we don't want to hurt them, we don't want to harm them, but in the long run, you're actually doing harm and hurt to them and it does hurt and harm to your group and your ministry by not dealing with stuff. And the longer we leave stuff unchecked and undealt with, sweep stuff under the, under the carpet, we end up with a mountain, a pile that everyone just keeps tripping over. And there's certain things, some of us in this room, you've got to go home from this week and you've got to deal with it. And in the end, do you know what? The problem is everyone around you knows you need to deal with it. Everyone knows around me on our staff knows that I need to go back and deal with this problem. I don't have a problem dealing with stuff. Yes, I am soft, but I, I deal with it. And there's ways that we need to do that. But sometimes in church world, there's a lack of accountability around things in terms of uh, our programs and different things. Somebody said this before too, um, that expectations are not clear. If you want a great book... Uh, that helped me significantly. It's called Crucial Conversations. It's not a Christian book, <gasps> but it's a really good book. <laughs> it's, it's a powerful, powerful book. It's a, it's a New York Times bestseller. But one of the things in it, the premise basically, there's a lot more to it, but the premise basically is that most conflicts occur because 
expectations are not clearly communicated. So we, and, and we all kind of live in environments where there's a lot of unset expectations. But we have the responsibility with our teams and the people around us to know clearly what's expected of them, clear position descriptions or role descriptions and things like that for your leaders. That's one thing that I jump on my team about is like, you know what, do your guys know exactly what they're supposed to be doing? Because it's really unfair to pull somebody up on something that they had no idea that's what was expected of them. So it can be just simply a one-page little document that you give to your team, your leaders, to go, hey, guys, here's the expectations about you know, attendance, commitment, personal integrity, all of that kind of thing. That Whatever it is that you want to expect from your team, then that needs to be clearly outlined. All right. Let's quickly, in the next six minutes... Oh, so much more that could be said. When it comes to measuring, sometimes we can get caught in the trap of focusing on the wrong things. I'm not against discipline. It's, you know, self-controlled discipline is one of, the, one of the fruits of the spirit and needs to be helped develop. But when I talk about discipline, I'm talking about the practices of our faith and the habits that we get into. But the discipline itself is not the goal in terms of uh, inputs that we, we do and the, there's things that we check off in our lives which are, which are good things but that's not the goal. It's actually the fruit that is actually the goal. See, if we measure only inputs of our spiritual growth and let me give you some examples. If we, if we just try to measure the effectiveness of what we're doing by finding out how many times people are reading their Bibles, how many minutes a day they're praying, how often they come to our programs and things like that, you and they will often feel like a failure in their spiritual life, if that's all we measure. But if we actually measure the outputs, so they're the inputs, but if we actually measure the outputs of someone's spiritual life, such as are they becoming more patient? Is there a shift in their character? Is there something actually, can you actually see more of those fruits of the Spirit being manifest in their life? Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, those things. Can you see that transformation process actually taking place in their life? Then you'll actually, that in itself, when you encourage people in the outputs of their lives, believe it or not, actually creates a greater sense of excitement and satisfaction in their personal faith than patting them on the back to say, you know, you're reading your Bible and you're praying and that kind of thing. I think that if we actually celebrate and champion the cause of fruit production in their lives, that we'll actually end up with stronger, more disciplined followers of Christ. That's been my experience. So ultimately, the standard we use to measure anything has to be the Word of God. Now, we've talked about some of the challenges that we face, and I think some of those key questions are just simply, what do we measure and how do we measure? Now, this, this is where I'm going to send you away with some homework. Because I don't want to be prescriptive about this. I think because of all the things that I've just said around you getting clarity around your mission, around your vision, around the direction that you're going, developing a strategic plan on where you're going, it's going to be different for every ministry that's represented in this room. But some of the ways that I've found useful is to come up with very simple ways that like some headings that you can use to measure the effectiveness of your ministry. So if you had to pick three things, four things, five things in your ministry that you felt we're a priority for where you're at right now of things that you would like to actually go, you know what, let's, let's measure it now, but in 12 months' time, we're going to measure it again to see if there's been any shift or change. Let me give you an example of that. 
couple of examples of uh, guys that I know that have actually done this. One guy used the framework of Philippians 2 and he used that as a passage and he said, okay, so there were some headings that he came up with with his group and then there were questions that fit under that that the team brainstormed and came up with that they got their young people. Now, I don't know about if, if anyone's kind of like ever used any online surveys and stuff like that. There is a whole bunch of free ones that you can actually create your own online survey and you can get your kids basically anonymously if you want. You can actually put in there the actual opportunity for them to actually fill in their details, things like that, if you want them to. But if you want it to remain anonymous, you can do that as well. But there's a whole bunch of different online surveys. SurveyMonkey, Google Forms, Survey Gizmo, Gizmo, Soho Servo, Checkbox Survey. You might even know some yourself that you can create your own surveys to actually measure. So one of the guys I know said, look, let's have, let's have the topic of how selfless am I? That was one that he used. And they had some questions under that. They actually wrote out for their young people to actually go, am I being, how, how selfless am I? How much am I willing to sacrifice? So if you don't get it, they all start with S. How much am I willing to serve? How much am I willing to submit? How much am I willing to suffer? And then they had questions underneath that that kids just jumped on their phones or uh, at home on their laptops, whatever, and they just filled out these surveys and it gave them actually a, a, a benchmark that they could actually work with. Another guy that I know actually uses the five purposes, fellowship, evangelism, ministry, discipleship, worship, where, and having specific questions underneath that that actually related to where they were at. So I've got two minutes. In terms of trying to work out how effective we're being in ministry, I think that's going to actually, it's such a personalised thing that I don't want to be, as I said, prescriptive about the kind of questions. I could, I'd be happy to send you a couple of the surveys that we've used and people that we've known um, have used just so you can get an idea. But if you sit down with your team and start to brainstorm, okay, hey, these are the questions that we could ask our young people because in 12 months' time we want to see, actually, has there been any kind of spiritual growth in their lives. But can I encourage you again, just in closing, don't just make it all about attendance and, and the inputs into their life of reading their Bible and prayer, and they're important things. But come up and, and try and be creative as to how do you actually rate and how do you actually measure the outputs of their life, the fruit, how do you do that? So I'm sure you guys are creative enough that you can do that, but I just wanted to leave a couple of minutes just for questions, if anyone has any questions, because we're supposed to be done at 2.40. Any questions? Yeah, so what you tolerate is the standard by which you operate. Yeah, because it's human nature to drop to the lowest common denominator. And if I can get away with it, and I see other people getting away with it, then... Anybody else? So the first one was selfless. Second one, sacrifice. How much am I willing to sacrifice? Third one, how much am I willing to serve? How much am I willing to submit? How much am I willing to suffer? But that, that's just an example. Yeah. Wasn't that what we had? Sorry? Wasn't that what we 
Oh, that's very nice. Love you too. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, feeling the love. <laughs> that's right. Oh, sorry, you guys do peace the other way, don't you? Like in, a, in Australia, if you do that, it means you're like flipping someone the bird kind of thing. You know? so that's, that's, yeah, okay. yeah, if you come to Australia, don't walk around doing that to people. They'll, yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, you can catch me on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. Message me. Yeah, would love to stay in touch. Instagram is uh, at breakphil as opposed to fill break. Cool. So in closing, guys, can I, I just really, I mean, I got such a heart for, for youth pastors and stuff, and I know there are people that just doing it tough in this room and uh, just really just want to encourage you before we finish up today, don't give up. Hang in there. Unless you get that clear word from God, unless you kind of like, unless he gives you that green light, there are, there are kids that are counting on you. They need you. You're needed. And, uh, you know, just don't give up. Don't give up. We all done? We all finished. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for uh, each person in this room. None of us are here by accident. I just thank you, Lord, sometimes even when we finally stop and sit, um, that you have an opportunity to speak to our hearts. So I thank you, Lord, that you've been wanting to speak to hearts in this place today. And more than likely, it's got nothing to do with what I've said. So I just know, Father, people in this room that just need just a, a fresh word from you, just for you to speak into their circumstance and situation, that, that uh, even in the next maybe 30 seconds before we close, that you would just do that. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come just bring that comfort, the healing, the strength, the courage, the boldness. And Father, I just want to take authority over depression and distraction in this room. Those things that try to rob and steal, that's, uh, that's not part of your plan. It's not part of your purpose. So Father, I just speak life. I speak your comfort. If you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but love, power and a sound mind. So I just pray, Father, you just have your way in this room right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.